It's really exciting to be here this morning. I'm really excited for this morning. And I want to just start by saying thank you. Thank you for being here this morning. Whether you've been here for a year or you've been here for a few months or you've been here for a few weeks or you're just visiting this morning because someone you know is being baptized, I just want to thank you for being here for, because however long you're here with us, you're part of our family. That's just true. So thank you for being a part of this family here. And I think it would be right for us today to say a few other thank yous as we did one year ago. To say thank you to Dr. Adam Bailey, the principal of Sonora High School, who's just been incredible. has been amazingly supportive of us here. Thank you to the teachers and the administration and the school district who have allowed us to be here. A special thank you, I don't know if he can hear us, but to our custodians here at Sonora High School. And George, I don't know if he's within earshot, but a thank you to George. I would, I would say to give George a hug if you see him because he deserves it, but that would probably creep him out. So just say thanks to George. He's awesome. And to our custodians who are here every week that support us so much, a thank you to them. I think it would be good for us as we consider just for a minute this morning, as we consider our first year here, to think back and to remember back a year ago because we made two promises when we started this journey together. We made two promises to you. And I think we ought to hold ourselves accountable to those promises a year later. Here were the two promises we made. The first one was, if you spend any amount of time with us at all, we will disappoint you. And it will probably be me. I will say something that hurts you or discourages you or makes you upset, or I will do something that disappoints you. And if it's not me, it will be somebody here. It's not that that's our goal. We don't have a goal to disappoint you, but it is a promise because we're just people. And just because we love Jesus doesn't mean we're even good people or always considerate or even kind people. So the first promise was that we will disappoint you. We guarantee it. We will disappoint you. And here was the second promise, that we will never stop pointing you to one who never will. We will never stop pointing you to Jesus. There's one place we can point you, one person we can point you to that will never disappoint you, and that's Jesus. And I think I can say we followed through on both promises because I know we have disappointed you, some of you, maybe most of you, I don't know, or hurt you or discouraged you in some way. I know that's true, but I also know that there has not been a Sunday, not one, where we have not pointed to Jesus Christ in worship and have not declared the work of Jesus on the cross for us in this place. Yes. (laughs) I don't know what to say to that. Amen. We will always declare the work of Jesus Christ in this place. And to that end, we're about to open the Word of God. And so I would just ask if you would pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we're about to open your Word And I would just ask that you would be with us here this morning. We thank you for giving us a place to worship. We thank you for giving us a reason to sing to you. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us, for your son. Lord, I pray this morning now, as we open your word, that you would speak to our hearts. This morning we are celebrating people that have put their faith in you. So this morning, Lord, would you amaze us by what you do? Would you work in our hearts this morning? Would you do a work in this place, in this church? We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you have your Bible with you this morning, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 26? 
If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, that's okay. We brought one for you. So if you look around, probably about every six or seven seats, you'll find a Bible hidden in there somewhere. And you can just grab that. That's one of ours. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word or you would like this one, we would just encourage you to take that home with you as a gift from us. You're welcome to take that home with you. We're going to be in Acts chapter 26. That's way at the back end of your Bible in the New Testament. If you're using our Bible, that's page 935. That's where you'll find us this morning. Now, we've been at Sonora High School for a year, and we've been teaching through the book of Acts for a year. We're almost to the very end of the book of Acts. And we didn't plan for this celebration this morning or our baptism to line up with a particular passage, but if we had, we couldn't have picked a better one. So we're just going to chalk that up to the providence of God, say thank you for that, and we're going to see what His Word has to tell us this morning. But for those of you who haven't been with us through this whole book of Acts, let me just catch you up really quick to where we are. We're almost finished with the book, and Luke, who's the writer of Acts, has been following the life of Paul since Paul became a follower of Jesus. So for about the last half of the book, he's been following the life and ministry of Paul. And Paul has this amazing conversion experience. Paul has this amazing story of his conversion. It's really dramatic. He's going to recount that in our passage here this morning. Ever since Paul found Jesus, ever since Paul became a follower of Jesus... He's been telling everybody about him. Everywhere he goes, Paul talks about Jesus because it's that important to him. And Paul is the kind of guy that really doesn't care what happens to him as long as he has an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. We've seen that this is true. He doesn't care if it costs him his health. We saw Paul beaten nearly to death by the Jews in Jerusalem. And at the end of that story, what happens? Paul begs for an opportunity to tell them about the love of Jesus. We can see that it costs him his freedom. Paul has an opportunity to work out his freedom from prison. He's being held captive. But instead of working out his freedom, he works at an opportunity to tell the governor about Jesus over and over and over. For two years, he tells him that while he's in custody. Paul doesn't seem to care if it costs him his life. We've seen him risk his life multiple times. And even when he has an opportunity to protect his own life before Governor Festus, what happens? When Governor Festus walks away from that conversation with Paul, he remembers one thing. He's like, I don't really care what Paul is talking about, but I remember one thing that he said, and that is that Jesus is alive. Paul has an opportunity to defend his life, and what's the one thing he wants everyone to hear? That Jesus is alive, and for some reason, that's really important to Paul, more important than his life. Why is that? It's because Paul knew that what you believe about Jesus changes everything. What you believe about Jesus changes everything. Paul knew that from personal experience in his own life. So look with me here. Now Paul is coming before the king. He's been through two governors, and now he's coming before the king. He's not actually on trial here. Here's what happened. Paul gives his defense to Governor Festus, and Governor Festus says, why do we even have you in custody? I, can't, I don't even know why you're here. What are you doing here? He can't figure it out, but Paul, if you remember, Paul has appealed to Caesar. 
So Governor Festus is in the awkward position of having to send a prisoner to Caesar without knowing why. He, can't, he doesn't know why. So he brings in King Agrippa. King Agrippa is Jewish. And he says, King Agrippa, help me out. Listen to this guy and tell me, what am I supposed to tell Caesar? Because I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Okay, you're caught up. 26 chapters. Chapter 26 of Acts, starting in verse 1, says this. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. And then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. And then Paul's going to tell him, everybody knows what my life was like before, Agrippa. There's a clear before and after in my life. And everybody knows what I was like before, but let me tell you. Verse 4, my manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They've known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by the Jews, O King." Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? So Paul says, Agrippa, I've lived my whole life as a devout Jew, as a Pharisee, which is like super devout, as you know. And that's why I'm on trial here before you today, because I am claiming the hope that every Jew has claimed. He says, as you would know. Every Jew hopes in and prays for a Messiah, a Savior that God has promised. And that's why I'm here on trial, because I dare to hope in the Messiah. And then he ends by saying, ends that that part by saying, why is it so hard to believe that God raises the dead? Paul is clearly talking about Jesus. I hope in a Messiah. I hope in the resurrection of the dead. He's clearly pointing to Jesus, and he's about to start talking about him. He's saying, as a Pharisee, we believe that God will raise the dead. So why is it so hard to believe that God would raise the dead, especially after God promised a Messiah that he would raise from the dead? How is this so hard to understand? Then he continues in verse 9. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme, and in a raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Paul says, hey, I get it. I get opposition to Jesus. I've been there. I lived it. I thought Jesus was a nut. I thought he was a complete fraud. So much so that I found all of his followers and I locked them up in prison. And when the death penalty came against them, I voted against them that they would be killed. And then I went and I beat them in the synagogue and tried to beat a confession out of them, tried to get them to say something that we would say was blasphemous so that we could put them in prison or have them executed. 
I disliked them so much, I chased them out of Jerusalem and I chased them down in other places so I could put them in prison. So I know what it means to oppose the name of Jesus. I've been there. And then I met Jesus and that changed things a little bit. That's where his story is going next. Look with me in verse 12. He says, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus. So he's saying, in this connection, meaning in chasing people down from city to city, the followers of Jesus, so I could put them in prison or have them killed. For that purpose, I went to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. In verse 13, he says, At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul says, while I am chasing down the followers of Jesus, who should I meet but Jesus? Whoops. And Jesus shows up to me and he says, Paul, or Saul in this case, his his given name, what are you doing? What are you doing? And Paul says, I've seen him alive, the Messiah, the one that has been promised, the one that we've been waiting for. I've seen Jesus alive, and he told me this. He told me what to tell everybody. I am a witness. Now, some of you may remember this. 2007, Nike ran an ad campaign that... um, probably many of you have seen. And I've asked Ryan if he would put it up for us this morning. He may or may not have that quite ready. Here you go. We are all witnesses. The Nike campaign that was launched when LeBron James was on his way to the NBA Finals for the very first time. Do you guys remember seeing this? Let me just read for you a little bit. Let me read for you a little bit of the press release. Am I going to be in the way? Sorry, LeBron. Okay. Let me read for you a little bit of this. Nike announced today the introduction of a new witness marketing campaign celebrating superstar LeBron James of the Cleveland Cavaliers and his rise to prominence as he makes the first NBA Finals appearance of his career. The witness campaign, listen to the purpose of it, pays tribute to to James and acknowledges the legions of fans worldwide who are witnessing his greatness, power, athleticism, and beautiful style of play. Now, if you didn't hear all of those words, you might forget we're talking about a basketball player witnessing LeBron's greatness and power. Thankfully, they told us also beautiful style of play to give some context. Okay. The campaign was first introduced in November 2005 with the unveiling of a 110-foot high by 212-foot wide billboard located adjacent Quicken Loans Arena in Cleveland. And the campaign has lived on through fans in Cleveland and around the world who wear witness t-shirts and, and bear witness placards. Okay, I'm almost done. It gets better. 
visitors to NikeBasketball.com will be able to access the witness board featuring shared testimony from fans about James as well as a running tally of witnesses as they are added. Nike will select notable testimonials each day from a fan as the prize-winning witness of the day. Now, this seems crazy, and many of you remember this. We are all witnesses of what LeBron is doing. And I don't bring this up to put this on LeBron or to make him look bad. That's not, that's not the point of this. But you can't tell me that Nike doesn't know what they're doing when they unleash a campaign like this. What is LeBron's nickname? Anyone know? The King, right? King James. He's standing like Christ. They're using the word witness and believe. You may not be able to read it from here, but you can believe at NikeBasketball.com. You can believe in LeBron at NikeBasketball.com. Is that crazy? Why? Why would they do this? What is, why is this such a powerful message? Because Nike knows that seeing is believing. Nike knows the power of a witness. Nike knows the power of testimony. That's why you can go online and share. I saw LeBron do this. I saw LeBron do that. And it was amazing. And I am a witness. And whether you like LeBron or not, you can't deny once you've seen him, he's a great basketball player. It's undeniable. Thank you, Ryan and Robert. Before Nike... God understood the power of a witness and understood the power of testimony. And who is a better witness or who has a more powerful testimony than Paul? And Paul is saying to Agrippa, I'm a witness. I have seen it. I have seen Christ alive, the risen Messiah, and you cannot tell me that Jesus is not the Christ because I saw it with my own eyes. And I'm a witness. And Jesus told me, now that you have seen me, and now that you believe in me, you go and tell people to turn from darkness to light, to turn from the power of the enemy, to turn from the power of Satan to God, to turn. We've heard that word before. What's the biblical word for that? To repent, to turn. And what does Jesus say? So that you might receive forgiveness. And so Paul says in verse 19 of chapter 26, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Paul says, Agrippa, I saw Jesus. I saw him. And so I've been telling everybody that Jesus is the Messiah. When you hear a voice from heaven and it tells you what to do, You do it. So I did. And that's why I'm standing here. That's why they want to kill me. Because I'm telling everybody about the Messiah, which, by the way, is the same promise we all hope and believe in. It's what we've all been waiting for. Verse 24. As he was saying these things, remember Agrippa is Jewish, but Festus is not. 
So as he's saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind. Most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am except for these chains. Festus says, Paul, you're nuts. Man, you're crazy. Do you hear what you're saying? I know you're a smart guy, Paul. I can tell you're smart, but you have like studied yourself into some kind of a madness. And Paul says, how can you say that I'm crazy when everything that I say makes sense? It was prophesied that this would happen and then it happened. It's not like this happened in a corner. Everybody knows that Jesus was crucified and nobody can find him now. Agrippa knows. I speak to him boldly because he knows all of these things are true. You know Agrippa, right? You believe in the prophets, don't you? I know you do. And what does Agrippa say? Hold on a minute, Paul. He kind of evades the question by asking him a question. He's like, what are you going to do? Are you going to try to convert me? You want me to be a follower of Christ right now? And Paul says, yes. Yes. I want everybody to know Jesus. Haven't you been listening to me? I don't care if it's in a short time or if it takes a long time. I want you to know Jesus. I want everyone to know that Jesus was the Messiah. I want everybody to know that they have hope. I want everyone to know that they have a Savior because I saw it and it's true. The chapter ends, verse 30, Then the king rose and the governor and Bernice and all those were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he'd not appealed to Caesar. They have to send him to Caesar because he's appealed to Caesar, but Paul can't be set free. Interestingly, at the end of every one of Paul's trials, they come to the same conclusion. I don't think he's done anything wrong. I don't think he deserves death. I'm not even sure we should still have him in custody. In this case, they can't set him free. That's okay, because at this point, Paul's life is not about going free. The whole purpose of Paul's life is to tell this story. The whole purpose of Paul's life is to tell people how they can experience freedom in Christ, in knowing who he is. And for Paul, it's just like, I get to go tell Caesar this too? Cool. Bring it on. I'll tell him the same story I told everybody else. See, Paul lived his life in outright rebellion to Jesus until Jesus opened his eyes. And once Paul understood that Jesus was the only hope that Jesus was the promised Messiah, his Savior, it changed everything. It changed his whole life. That's his testimony before Agrippa. There's a clear before and after in my life, Agrippa. There's before Jesus and after. And my whole life since Christ has been proclaiming him. He really doesn't care what happens to him. He just wants to tell people about Jesus. Why? Because what you believe about Jesus changes everything. You heard it from seven people this morning up here. What you believe about Jesus changes everything. It's not just being religious. It's not just being good. 
It's not just being Christian. It's having faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Paul can boldly proclaim Jesus because he knows it's true. He saw him. And he says, I'm only standing here because God has protected me. By all accounts, I should be dead. So at the very least, I want people to know about Jesus. I want them to know. As a church family, we share Paul's heart that everybody would know Jesus. I mean, really know Jesus, not just know his name or not just know that there's a Bible, but really know him. That's our hope. That's our desire. That's why we're here. And this morning, we celebrate one year of proclaiming Jesus in this place, in this city. We celebrate one year of worshiping Jesus in this place and in this city and of reminding each other for a year of the story that we have to tell through Jesus Christ, the story that these seven told this morning. There's a clear before and after in my life. There's before Jesus and after Jesus. Look with me. I closed my Bible. Acts chapter 26, verse 18 says this, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This morning we celebrate those who have accepted the gift of salvation that's offered through Jesus Christ. Those who have accepted that gift and have a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus. We have a story to tell, the story of the gift that is offered in Jesus Christ. That Jesus says, I have an arrangement for you. I'll take your place and you take mine. I will take the punishment for your sin. I will die in your place and you become a child of God. What a deal. What a gift. And he says, I offer it freely. And God says, I loved you so much that I gave my son to offer that exchange for you if you would accept it. But I also love you enough to tell you that you can accept that gift or you can reject it. The choice is yours. I'm not making the choice for you. So you choose, will I accept the gift of Christ or not? So this morning, as we close, let me just encourage you with this. You have your connection card this morning that Joe pointed out to you. Maybe you've put your information on there already. Maybe you haven't. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you already are a follower of Jesus Christ, then this morning you celebrate. You celebrate. Not just because we're having a party, not just because the almost has made salsa, not just because we're baptizing people. Those are all cool things, not all on the same level, but they're all cool. They're all worth celebrating. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you celebrate this morning because you have a place with God through Jesus Christ and you celebrate that you are a child of God adopted into his family. So celebrate this morning. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ this morning and you're hearing this, then I would just ask you to consider, just consider what we've said this morning because we want everybody to be able to make the claim that these seven are going to make this morning that my old self died and was buried with Christ and I'm raised to new life empowered by the very Spirit of God because of the death and resurrection of Jesus on my behalf, because he said, I'll do it for you. 
If you're here this morning and Jesus is not the Lord of your life, if you've never placed your trust in Him as your Savior, then I would invite you to do that this morning, today. We would love to introduce you to Jesus. We would love to baptize you this morning. That would be so awesome. We would love to do that. And if you're here and you're hearing this and God is tugging at your heart, I just say, do it today. Today's your day. Today's your day. Don't put it off. We're going to spend some time now celebrating, praising God together as a church family. And here's what's going to happen. The worship team's going to come up. You can come up now. And I'm going to ask the overseers to come up, and they're going to stand up here in the front. While we worship and while we celebrate, we're going to praise God for what He's done. And if you're a follower of Christ, then you sing. You sing because of what God has done for you. And if you're not a follower of Christ, then you consider while we sing, will I give my life to Jesus Christ? Will I accept the gift that He's given to me? Will I accept the offer to be adopted into the kingdom of God as a child of His Or will I reject it today? The overseers are going to be up front. And if you want to know Jesus, if you want to place your trust in him this morning, you come forward and you talk to one of them. Or if you are a follower of Jesus and you have never been baptized, then you come forward and you talk to them. Because we've got a pool this morning and we can do it today. And I know what you're thinking. If I stand up and I walk down here now, everyone will see me. Yeah. Everyone will see you. And everyone in here will be overjoyed to watch you walk in obedience to God in baptism or to walk forward to accept Christ as your Savior. I cannot tell you how exciting that would be to us. I know what you're thinking. If I get baptized today, I'm going to get wet. Yes, you're going to get wet. Well, I've got a T-shirt for you that's dry. And we've got towels. And I'm just going to say... Eternity with God or wet socks? That's the option. It's just worth it. It's just worth it. Don't let something like that hang you up from coming forward today and accepting Christ. You're not making a commitment by walking forward. You're just saying, talk to me. Tell me about it. I want to know more. We would love to talk to you this morning. For the rest of us, would you stand? Will we worship God this morning and celebrate what he's done for us?